Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining the Society for Clinical Research Sites for SCRS Talks, where we have our guests take a few minutes to address issues of site concern, and in this case today, patient concern. In this installment, we're going to have TJ Sharp and Dave Azer take a few minutes to talk about the patient's voice in clinical trials. Um, now, for in this episode, they're going to talk to each other, so I'm going to step back, let them introduce themselves, and do their uh, brief interview. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning, Michael. Thanks for having us here. Uh, no, you're this welcome. Is, this is TJ Sharp. Welcome, everybody, to SCRS Talks. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to be involved uh, with SCRS as a patient advocate and representative and someone who shares my story uh, with site uh, and, and research personnel for a number of years. And today, I get the pleasure of sort of hosting a quick virtual fireside chat with uh, a friend and a fellow advocate and melanoma patient, Dave Azer. Dave, you want to take a few minutes and introduce yourself and maybe give us a little bit of background as to what your, uh, your story is? Sure. Thanks, TJ. Always good to spend time with you. So my name is Dave Azer. I am a stage three melanoma survivor. I was diagnosed a little over five years ago. Uh, the melanoma was on my face and it spread to some lymph nodes in my neck. And one of the one of the parts of the experience that I'm convinced got me through it to where I am today was my very productive, beneficial experience with a clinical trial. When I was diagnosed with stage 3A, there weren't very many good options for me in terms of treatment. And through some research and some diligence, I was able to find a trial, which we can talk about uh, in greater detail. And I'm convinced that that trial is part of the reason, if not most of the reason, that I'm alive and healthy today. So I'm I'm super grateful. And one of the neatest aspects of all of it was that I got to meet TJ, uh, and we've become really good friends, and we share a bond. We do. We share we share a diagnosis and a and uh, sometimes the stage together, uh, telling our story uh, for those of you who don't know. And uh, it seems like it's been SCRS's mission to broadcast my story to the sites around the world. But for uh, others that have not heard, I am a stage four melanoma patient, uh, or I, at least I, I was for a long time, diagnosed eight years ago, and given two years to live, uh, was unable to find initially a, a treatment or a trial that would give me a chance to uh, watch my two little kids grow up. Uh, so through a number of different uh, missteps in, in, in the world, I was nav able to navigate past uh, not being offered a clinical trial uh, when the immunotherapy world was just beginning to take hold in uh, in melanoma, I did find a trial. Uh, I had to, uh, as the SCRS founder Christine Pierre uh, liked to broadcast, that uh, we're not going to let what happened to TJ happen again. When my contract for my clinical study uh, wasn't signed, and I sat there in limbo for over a month, uh, so I'm happy to report that I am uh, two clinical trials. Uh, into my treatment, and, and much like Dave, I'm in great health uh, here as as the world turns to face a different health crisis. Uh, so, Dave, and for for our listeners, background is that I'm an IT project manager before I became uh, an advocate. But Dave is a personality on television down here in Fort Lauderdale, where we both live. Uh, so, me interviewing him is <laughs> like the student interviewing the master. Uh, so, <laughs> You're doing great. You're nailing it. 
let's let's talk first about uh, some of the commonalities that, that we have, and then we'll dive into into both of our research experiences, Dave. Uh, Dave and I have have come up with a story uh, that that we share. Uh, we call it stage seven. His stage three and my stage four uh, comes to stage seven, and, and it really was about the, the the parallel highs and lows. Even though our, our journeys may have been different in a lot of ways, uh, that we both sort of hit rock bottom is is the word that you used a lot. Uh, Dave, tell me what that was like, and then how transitioning into a clinical trial gave you some more hope for. Uh, outliving the, 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 the expectations you're ahead that melanoma was going to take you any day? I had just turned 40 and was the happiest I had ever been. I was on a cruise. I was living my best life. Everything was perfect. I was, I was feeling invincible. And then I had noticed a mole on my face. Um, it had been there for a bit, but it, it was starting to change. It was starting to get bigger it actually was bleeding a little bit. So here I am on this cruise thinking how perfect life is, but also saying, you know, this mole is, this mole is not what it once was. I'm, I'm getting a little concerned. So when I got back to South Florida, I went to a dermatologist. Um, long story short, he pretty much uh, diagnosed, he biopsied it, diagnosed me with, with melanoma, which led to a first surgery, which I was told was, was probably going to be fine. The, the mole was pretty small. The doctors were anticipating that they would take it out. They would get the margins. They, they were going to take out uh, a handful of lymph nodes, eight lymph nodes, and fully expecting those lymph nodes to be fine, that this would just be uh, kind of a wake-up call for me to wear sunscreen. So I had my surgery. And by the way, as you mentioned, I was on TV at the time, still am, and the surgery was on my face. So another concern was how am I going to look when it's all over with. But after the first surgery, there was a plastic surgeon who came in as well. I, I, I was going to be fine. You know, the, cosmetically, I was going to be fine. Physically, emotionally, everything was okay until I get the call from the surgeon two weeks later, and he asked me if I was sitting down. And as I'm sure you know, when you get the are you sitting down call, it's never good news. Uh, so I went into my office at work, and I closed the door, and I sat down, and he proceeded to tell me that, much to his surprise, three of the eight lymph nodes tested positive melanoma, so it was starting to metastasize. And shortly thereafter, I was diagnosed with stage three. I had a second surgery that was 14 and a half hours long. And in that surgery, the doctors took about 60 lymph nodes from the left side of my neck. They took the parotid gland from the left side of my face. And then, and then there was massive plastic surgery because this was a serious operation. So I had a lot of reconstruction. And you know, from there, it was everything that you and I have, have talked about on stage. Uh, physically, it was brain MRIs and PET scans and CAT scans and oncology visits and the clinical trial. But emotionally for me, man, it, it shook me up like, like nothing ever before. I never expected to hear the words, you have cancer. And then I never expected to hear you have stage three cancer. And then I looked at survival rates and, and recurrence rates, and uh, I was convinced I was going to die. Um, so for me, I... I really did hit rock bottom emotionally and, and mentally the first couple of years of this, of this process every day thinking if today the day it's going to spread to my brain or my liver or my lungs and, you know, that's going to be the beginning of the end. So, so with that background, how, what would you uh, want someone at a research site to articulate to a newly diagnosed patient, someone who comes in and has that fear? Maybe they don't even know they have that fear. They're certainly not going to voice it uh, and, and try to put up their brave front. 
how would you want someone to have approached you and proactively addressed that? Talk to you about, hey, this is scary, and it's not easy to deal with being a cancer patient, but here's how we can help you. Here's how someone can help you navigate the mental and emotional journey you're about to go through, especially with the unknowns of clinical research if you're a, if you're a trial participant. It was challenging for me because where I had my surgeries, the oncology there, uh, there, there was no clinical trial available for me at that hospital. So when I got, so after the surgeries, when I, when I visited with the oncologist, there was no, hey, we've got this option. There was, look, you're stage 3A, which means we can give you interferon, or we can do nothing really other than just monitor you and bring you in for, you know, visits every three months. Um, but we don't have a clinical trial option. So, it, you know, I, obviously it would have been great to have that option immediately right away. But also to your point, there wasn't a whole lot of anywhere I went along the way. There really wasn't a, a whole lot of emotional check-in. Uh, I've, you know, I've talked about this a lot. Your journey was like physically was unbelievable what you went through physically. It's incredible. For me, physically, other than the surgery, wasn't too bad. But for me, emotionally, I had a ton of anxiety. I, I really did not do well uh, emotionally and spiritually. So I, I would have loved a, a check-in. I would have loved, hey, here's, here, we're going to give you a, a therapy session. Um, you know, he, go do this now. Because left to my own devices, I didn't seek out therapy for a while. I didn't believe in it at the time, which in retrospect, you know, was a big mistake. And I'm a huge advocate for people going to therapists because you need to talk to someone. But I would have loved for someone to say, look, Yes, physically you can expect this and this and this, but let's let's sit you down and talk you talk and have you talk with someone emotionally. When I did find a hospital with a clinical trial, then I started to feel much more optimistic because even though it was only a trial, it it seemed like there wouldn't be side effects unlike interferon, and there was a real chance that I that I could make it. That is, it, it parallels a lot with what my story uh, entails. Uh, you mentioned the physical difficulties, and, you know, I had emotional trouble as well. More along the lines, I had a young family, and I, I had a two-year-old daughter, a four-week-old son, and, and if you ever get the chance to see Dave and I talk, you'll see all of this in slides and these beautiful pictures that tell the story of what it was like to, to journey uh, through this diagnosis and have that, that fear uh, of not being able to see your, see your family grow up. Dave's, a, Dave's a, a new father now, and he understands probably a little more uh, what that would be like if someone told you you're not going to get a chance to see your boy go to kindergarten. Uh, so, you know, my, my emotional journey uh, wasn't quite the same as Dave's, but certainly there's a, there's a huge aspect of how do I deal with this? Um, you know, luckily for me, I didn't have to worry about being on TV, so it didn't matter what I looked like. Uh, but but uh, but uh, you know, for people who don't know your story, and I understand a lot of our, our listeners already do. But for those who don't, I've always been so impressed by you, honestly, and I'm and that and I really truly mean it because what you went through, you know, what you said in the in the introductory remarks a few minutes ago, essentially being told to just go home and spend time with your family because there's nothing we can do for you, and you just saying no, absolutely not, and you fighting to get a trial, and then you fighting to get another one, and you and then you being your own lawyer of sorts and advocating for paperwork and contracts. So much of your story is so courageous, and and 
you know, and, and that's why you're sitting here today because you fought for yourself, which is just so amazing, man. I'm, I've always been so proud of you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. This is why David is a TV personality because he can take any story and make it sound good. Uh, let's, let's quickly talk about the world today and what we're all dealing with. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a virus pandemic. going around the world, pandemic going around the world, and there is no treatment for it. There is no vaccine for it. For that to happen, people need to participate in clinical research. We can't just have uh, politicians say, hey, just give this a shot. Maybe it'll work. And we want to have a treatment for the, uh, particularly for the population who are most vulnerable. Uh, what would you say to someone out there who is looking uh, or has some kind of health, health challenge and is now dealing with the dual threat of uh, this pandemic? What would you say to them as far as uh, participation in clinical research and also how to handle that, that mental part of, of worrying about being healthy as well? Because I know, I know there's two questions there, um, but what is, what, is, what is their path forward? Yeah, it's interesting because when I signed up for the trial and, it, you know, I didn't have a lot of options. This was the only clinical trial available to me in South Florida. I probably could have traveled to maybe find another one, but it's just really inconvenient to have to do that. So when I agreed to do this trial, it was 75% active and 25% placebo, which is certainly not ideal. So I knew that risk going in. I knew that obviously it was a trial, so it may not work going in. But one of the things that I did that I'm so thankful for was I, I spoke with literally my best friend who happens to be a head and neck surgeon, which is you know a great miracle along the journey that I had friends who were physicians. And we talked about this trial and he said to me, look, if you're gonna do this, you can't worry about if you're getting the active medicine or if you're getting the placebo. The placebo effect in the medical community is a real thing. Patients have responded to treatment, even if it's a placebo, just because they believe they're getting real treatment. So if you're going to make this decision and take this clinical trial, you are believing from right now that you're getting the active drug. We're not having this conversation again. You're not worrying or wondering about it again. You're getting the active treatment, and that's it. So I, I went all in. So to answer your question, I think if you're, if you're going to take a, a, a trial for COVID or for cancer or for anything, uh, you know, if you're going to do it, do it and believe in it all the way. And I, even for a guy wrestling with as much anxiety as I was wrestling with and, and literally waking up every day going, <laughs> starting my day by feeling the lymph nodes underneath my armpits to see if they were swollen. I, that's how I started my day for two years. Even in the midst of all of that anxiety, I still did believe that I was getting the active treatment. And I, and every time I went and I got my injections in my arms and my leg, I, I believe, like I visualized, I visualized the cancer inside of me dying. I visualized this, this treatment coursing through my veins and finding the melanoma and eradicating it. So I would say as much positivity as you can surround yourself with that you can create on your own, go all in. Because as you and I both know, the, I mean, the mind is super powerful. You're so mentally tough. Look at you now. You're you're an endurance athlete. Have you been in the Ironman triathlons in the last two days? I haven't talked to you. No, the, the COVID diet has not set me up well for endurance sports these days. So, gotcha. Uh, what, what Dave doesn't point out, and, and this is sort of a good little um, a little uh, segue, or maybe an additional point to that, is that the mind is a is a very powerful thing. 
And, and Dave is a self-admitted hypochondriac. Uh, one of my favorite stories to tell people is that I would get my scan results or I wouldn't get them and, or I get a call from my oncologist and I just, you know, shoot Dave a text or put it on Facebook. And he'd call me like 12 hours later and go, what are the results? What happened? I'm so worried for you. So, <laughs> Um, so there was you a negative. Me, you did this to me a few days ago. He, TJ sent me a text a few days ago, and, I, and he goes, "Do you want the good news or the bad news?" So immediately, I'm like, "Oh no, is he going to tell me did, did his melanoma come back?" And you're like, "And it was about something totally different." You can't do that to me, man. I, wor- I worry <laughs> about you. Uh, I know, I know you do. You worry about yourself, and I mean, it's good that you have taken that and make it a positive because it, you know, in one of our slides in the presentation, Dave talks about how he kept getting these, these random, uh, you know, he had a, a throbbing in his head. He thought it was bone cancer. It just was a cyst. You know, there was a C in his eye. There was, there, he st- was smelling smoke one night on vacation and thought, the, thought Mexico was on fire. I, I, so, I, so I, I went on vacation in Punta Cana, smelled smoke from the hotel room, went outside, couldn't see a fire. So immediately I was like, well, that's brain tumor. That's an imaginary smell. I have a brain tumor. This is the end. <laughs> Uh, which I can laugh about now, but at the time was was terrifying. And it turned out that there was, in fact, a fire. I just couldn't see it from, from my vantage point. And there's no shortage of stories about, uh, you know, I was in a movie theater watching a movie. My foot fell asleep. And rather than just thinking, oh, my foot's asleep, I thought, well, now I have a spinal tumor. <laughs> and you can read all about this in, in Dave's book, a Hypochondriac Guide to Beating Cancer. Correct. Correct. Um, yeah. I, I think we have just a couple minutes left, Dave. So I wanted to, to kind of wrap up and, and talk about one or one more thing. Um, uh, and, and I'm going to seg or, or preface that with kind of what I've, what I've done. You've known a lot of it. Uh, so besides speaking to, uh, to pharmaceutical companies and clinical research, I'm actually part of the clinical research world. Now I work with uh, several different pharma companies uh, to bring the patient voice in, I work with a group called Transcelerate, who some SCRS listeners may be uh, familiar with as their patient advisor uh, to make clinical research better for everyone involved. And my life has now become being that patient voice for those patients that can't speak for themselves. Uh, So I do a lot of work in that, as you know. Um, You mentioned something very early in in the podcast about living your best life. And when you and I speak, we talk about things like determination and ownership of, of our health, uh, resilience perspective. Uh, what would you want? What's that, that sort of final thought you would want clinical research professionals to know, the doctors, the, the CRAs, all, everyone involved in that whole behind-the-scenes thing? You and I get to be the, the face of it. You, you're the pretty face of it. I'm the, I'm the bearded, COVID beard face of it. What do you want? those people to, to know, both from a, from a patient standpoint and then someone who represents others about what it's like to be on one of their trials? Well, first, I would, I would say thank you to them because you, you're giving hope to people. You're giving options to people uh, and optimism to people. So thank you for the work that you're doing. And I can tell you that personally from my own experience. What I, what I would tell you is if, if you're a scientist and you're in a lab all day and you're looking at test tubes and you're trying to create vaccines, you, you're, you may be detached from, from the patient perspective, but to meet someone who has survived late-stage cancer because of a clinical trial, um, it, you know, it's an overwhelmingly incredible feeling. 
people were dying years ago because there were there weren't these vaccines and, and these trials didn't exist and now because of the work that you all are doing on the front lines you you're saving lives you saved my life you saved tj's life so i would tell you to keep pressing forward and it might it might do some of these scientists and some of these doctors some good to maybe go to a, a cancer center and see and see their work in action i don't know if that's feasible but to see the impact that you're making on people uh, everything that i have gotten to achieve in the last five years has been because I survived cancer. And again, in large part, because I believe because of the clinical trial, I got married, I have a child, um, I, I get to be an ambassador in the fight against cancer. I get to do all these wonderful things because of the work of the clinical trial community. So I, I would just say thank you. And I would tell you to, to keep doing what you're doing. You're making a huge difference. That is, that is great. And I can't think of a better way to end it other than saying it's really unfair to give a hypochondriac a newborn and then a pandemic in the same year. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's three months old today, in fact. Today he's three months oh old. Gosh. And his entire life has been defined by COVID. He doesn't know any better, but we'll tell him the story when he's old enough to appreciate it. Oh, uh, that's great. And, and, that, and that, you know what, that resonates with me so much because that's been sort of Tommy's life. He's always had a dad with cancer. Um, you know, Josie was two and a half, so it doesn't really remember much before this, but, uh, you know, so much of when I measure myself, it's all right, you know, this is, he's coming up on his eighth birthday. Well, that means it's, that's eight years for me. Um, and he's, uh, uh, you go from, we have our little pictures in our slideshow of him, you know, him just kind of curled up in my arms and now he's, you know, he's beating me up in, in hockey in the front yard and, and, uh, and, and playing on the beach once we get back out on the beach. So. Um, I think my final my final thought is this. I, I always echo uh, the, the sentiment that Dave had uh, about the thank you. Uh, that's how I try to end my talks. And when, when Dave and I both talk, uh, we do the same thing uh, because it is there are so many people out there who whose lives are affected. And and if you're not right at a site or you're not one of the people that are interacting with patients on a daily basis, you probably don't get that reward of seeing you know, little Tommy come in with me or seeing how you affect families who get more time with their loved ones and get a chance to enjoy their life, uh, either, either a longer life or a better life or a healthier life. You know, so for all of us, I think that Dave and I both echo the, the thank you and the appreciation sentiment, especially now, given that, that clinical research is going to be on the front lines and is going to be uh, sitting there developing cures for uh, developing vaccines for uh, this virus that has that has neither uh, so uh, if uh, Dave if you have any extra thoughts pop them in there if not uh, I just want to say thank you to SCRS for letting us uh, invade your podcast for a few minutes and uh -huh. I think we uh, we look forward to uh, interacting maybe potentially uh, at a future site solution summit with uh with the audience here yeah thanks uh, you've done two of them so the, the you know the door is always open well um thanks guys very much um wow dave i didn't uh, i hadn't heard your story before i i i've i've, I've heard tj's several times and geez just just amazing just amazing uh and thanks very much for your time this morning and, and for your stories and we're going to get this out the the goal is to release this on the 20th which is clinical trials day and 
So I was glad that you all could squeeze me in with very little notice and, and, and knock this, this out. So thanks a lot. Uh, for everyone listening, thanks very much for listening. Make sure you register for our upcoming webinars and discussions as part of our summit, I'm, I'm sorry, our webinar series. Go to myscrs.org and visit our learning campus. Check out the SCRS Insight Journal. We publish that quarterly for members. You can find that in the members section of our website. Again, myscrs.org. We appreciate everyone's participation in today's program and look forward to bringing you more great content like this in the future. Thanks very much, TJ and Dave, for your time today. Thank Bye-bye, you, Michael. Everyone. You're welcome.